0: Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that
1: support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now
0: here's your host, Jeff Udick.
2: Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick. Thank you for finding some time in your busy schedule this week to tune in and have a listen to some very passionate educators talk about the power of digital storytelling. Now, in this episode, you're going to hear a lot more than just about digital storytelling. We do cover that in depth, but what I really want to point out is how, and I know you have heard this before, it's really not about the technology or the digital story. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times at this point. Learning happens in the process of creating, not the product that was created. Which means we must assess the process of learning, not the product. All too often we assess the product and it's the product that determines the grade. Now, the product should be a part of the final assessment for sure. But if that is the only part of any lesson you are grading, you're missing the big moments. Learning happens in the process of creating and solving, not in the product that was created from it. So I ask you where in your grade book or grading system can you point to and say, right there, right there, I was grading learning as it was happening and not a grade based solely on the product a student created. As we talk about digital storytelling today, you're going to hear us talk about it being the end of the process but it's in the creation of the digital story that the learning takes place, where specific skills are taught, knowledge is gained and applied, and pieced together to create this beautiful story worthy of an audience. Of course, when we talk about digital storytelling and technology today, the end product is as open as you want to make it. Yes, a digital story could be a YouTube video, or it could be an Instagram account, or a series of Instagram stories. It could be a podcast, it could be a website, it could be an infographic, ah, infographics, the digital stories of data. When we talk about digital stories, we're talking about the product that is outward facing, that goes beyond the classroom and the gradebook. You'll hear in today's episode, this idea of layering outcomes on top of outcomes. You'll hear Shay and Leanne talk about the UN's 17 global sustainability goals, in which the three of us truly believe could, or rather should, be the backbone and foundation to all learning, and that any standard you have in any subject area should be brought under one of these global goals we have for the world. That leads us to using service learning as the approach we use to motivate and empower students to take action in their world. These aren't my goals, the school's goals, or even your country's goals. These are the United Nations goals, real goals worth working towards to make our world a little bit better for all of us. Digital stories are the products students produce to share their passion, interest, and outcomes. But again, the website a student create is not where the learning happens. The podcast that is created is not what should be graded. No, the learning happens in the process of getting to the story of learning deeply about and coming up with solutions for one of these 17 global goals. So today, as you listen to Shay, Leanne and I talk and discuss the power of digital stories, we mix in these other terms as well, because in our minds, they are all part of the learning journey a student goes through. You're gonna wanna take some time as well to go through the show notes as it's full of useful information and links. And if you really wanna dig in and learn more, Join Leanne's course that starts February 10th called Becoming a Digital Storyteller. Be ready for some passion. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm so excited for today's episode. Uh, Digital storytelling Uh, has been around for a long time, and it's, it's trend it's transcended all technologies and and that's one of the things i love uh and i've got even some of my own stories about using digital storytelling and what it's done for me personally professionally and with my kids uh back in the classroom so i'm excited to kind of dig into some of those stories and maybe some people listeners haven't haven't heard yet cuz i don't share these stories all too often but i'm i'm so excited to be here with Leanne and Shay and uh, we're going to be talking about digital storytelling the passion behind it the empowerment for kids like it's just you can't talk enough about it. That's that's the thing I love about digital storytelling. So we're going to get into it and uh, Shay let's start with you a little background. Welcome to the podcast. A little background. Where are you from? What's your teaching background and and what are you doing today?
1: Yeah, thank you so much Jeff for having us today in your shifting school podcast. We're super excited. Uh, I'm a huge fan. So yeah, I'm Shay Ascensia, I'm a proud Mexican. I've uh, been living overseas for uh, almost two decades, which is crazy, oh, yeah. uh, living in Africa, Asia, North America. And I recently relocated to Canada, where I'm experiencing proper winters. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's great, it's been a great move. Uh, I was the CAS uh, coordinator at Luanda International School, where my love for service learning grew exponentially. And I'm currently working as an independent service learning coach and consultant, but I also have the enormous pleasure to work with CBK Associates and Orenda Learning as an educational consultant. And uh, I met fabulous Leanne last year. She joined the CBK Associates team. And since then, we have been collaborating nonstop, which cool. I love, I love, I love it working with her. Yeah.
2: When you find a partner that you just sync with, it it just makes life easier, doesn't it?
1: It really does. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Make that's magic great. happen.
2: Makes the magic happen. I <laughs> yeah, like that. That's it. Leanne, how about you? What's been your journey?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, first, I want to say thanks to Shay for those comments, because it's true. We have been collaborating nonstop and having so much fun doing so as well. It just is amplifying, I think, the, the work that we're both doing. So it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm a Canadian, and uh, I, I started my teaching career here in Canada after uh, being in the publishing industry, actually, for about 10 years. After we finished uh, university here, my husband and I started a very small publishing company in our in our hometown of Peterborough, Ontario. And we ran a little paper there for 10 years. And I think that to me, actually, even earlier than that, was a journalist as a teenager for a local newspaper. And I think I've always been a storyteller. I'm drawn to it. I have experienced the power of it in so many ways through all of those years working in journalism and media. And then when I transitioned into teaching, it was just natural for me to continue bringing those different threads into the classroom. So I worked as an English teacher for all of my my career in the classroom, which started in Canada, but then moved overseas. Um, We went to South Korea first and then to Kenya and then to China. And uh, we were overseas for 15 years. And we also just this past June relocated back to Canada. So we're in Ontario, not too far from where Shea is in Manitoba, and um, also experiencing proper winter for the first time in a very (laughs) long time. And so I'm doing a little bit of work still for a school in Shanghai, also some work with CBK Associates, and also working independently as a facilitator, coach, and consultant. So very excited about everything that's happening.
2: Very cool. Excellent. Well, let's get into this idea of uh, digital storytelling. I know you're both passionate. Uh, I'm passionate about digital storytelling. And I think one of the things that that we have to start with is just defining what that means. And what does that mean to to both of you? And what are what are different ways that that we can define this idea of digital storytelling? Uh, Shay, do you kind of want to go first of kind of what, what does that mean to you? And, and how do you define it with educators?
1: Yeah, I love this question, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, I believe that essentially digital storytelling is a tool to heighten a students' ability to share a narrative, you know, a narrative that communicates a main idea effectively for a chosen, you know, any given audience. Uh, now, if we transfer the essence of storytelling to the digital world and use the service learning umbrella, you know, as a context, it becomes a very powerful tool to create change makers Mm. and empower young people to raise awareness about issues that they care about, you know, to express who they are and what they stand for. And something that I love about digital storytelling is that it's an inclusive, creative world for all Mm. students. You know, it provides a lot of breadth, especially for introverted voices, you know how a lot of us are not very comfortable speaking in front of a large audience, right? You get those shaky knees and you're sweaty, you know, any way that makes you feel exposed is always a bit scary. But I think that with digital storytelling, it becomes a safe and inclusive space for all voices. And if you add to that, uh, that we know that, you know, students are very tech savvy it just becomes a really wonderful opportunity for teachers to learn from their students and to form meaningful connections, you know, that teacher-student relationship, but also amazing collaborations.
2: Mm, I love that. Leanne, do you want to add anything to that?
0: Oh my goodness. That was fantastic. Shay. Um, so articulate as always. And so I would only add that I I really believe that, human beings are hardwired for narrative right mm. I you can see this when you look at all cultures in all historical periods I mean right back to the very earliest of times you know we were capturing stories in in caves by painting on the walls and trying to pass our stories along through oral tradition and I feel like it's just in our DNA we respond to stories we understand our world through stories and so now in this age when we are surrounded by digital, messaging and technology and communication digital storytelling offers us a way to harness the power of that innate desire to to understand and to communicate and does so in a way that is so relevant to our students and 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 so important you know if we want them to navigate the online world where they're not just passive consumers but they're creators and they're they're purposefully engaging in dialogue and action, then digital storytelling is is a fantastic way to do that. And I mean, it can take so many forms, right? So yeah, this is all another thing I love in terms of student Voice and choice and agency. It's like, okay, if you prefer to write, well, there's so many different things you can do to produce writing and in digital storytelling. If you're more visual, what about photography? What about video? What about art? What about so you know animation? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the podcasting, the videos. There's just so many opportunities for students to really shine, and yeah. and I love that too.
2: And one of the things that I keep thinking about is, you know, we're we're constantly talking about this idea of of digital citizenship. And I don't even like that term anymore, but that's a different rant for a different day. Um, But I think about this idea of digital storytelling. And I was just like, as you both were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, this generation learns through stories. I mean, every generation has and through digital stories. Like I was just thinking like yesterday, I was posting something to my Instagram and it says, do you want to add this to your story or do you want to add this as a post? And I was just thinking, I was like, you know what? These kids, learn like whether it's like following youtube you know instagram or youtube people or instagram people but you you post to your story you can tell a story in instagram you can tell a story through facebook you can tell a story through twitter like there's all these avenues that our our kids our students are already engaged in stories but i don't know if we frame it that way i don't know if we frame it in a way of like you see this influencer that you love what's the story that they tell like there's a reason why that influencer is an influencer. It's because they're telling you a story. Can we deconstruct that story? Can we look at the the peaks and valleys of story writing? They they're just doing it in a they're just not doing it on paper. You know, they're script writing. I mean, there's so much that goes into being that stuff. People think you just pick up a camera and do it and that's not the way that works. But I just think about like this generation is is like on their phones, it's all about stories. Your Instagram feed tells the story of you, right?
1: hmm.
0: It's so true. I think about if I can jump in to, yeah. to just respond to what you said, Jeff, I taught AP Lang and comp- language and composition for for many years and the skills there in terms of the art of rhetoric and persuasion and the ways that we That's, use language to communicate and both to inform and persuade. So much of that is just embedded in everything we do digitally. We just don't often take the time to step back and analyze what that means and what we're doing, but we are doing it and we I are agree. receiving it all the time all the
2: time, and especially like by the time we get to high school, I want to be able to frame it in like, what's the story you're telling a university? What's the story you're telling an employer through your LinkedIn account, through your YouTube channel? Like you're telling a story of who you are. Do you understand you're telling the story of who you are? And I think we, we have, we've, uh, this little rant here, we've scared away from an education from the social medias because we didn't understand it. And I think if we could bring it into this idea of digital storytelling, and yes, there's other ways to do that. Like you talk about, if you love to write, go. you can be self-published. If you love to write, be self-published by the time you graduate, because you can. Like these tools are available and they're they're free or almost free. You know, I mean, it's amazing what you can do nowadays to empower kids to have that voice, whether they're, you know, Extroverted or introverted, like to your point, like there's there's different avenues to to tell your story and whatever whatever that might be for you. Um, you know, we've seen digital storytelling evolve over the years, and in what ways do you hope to see it evolve even further? And, you know, as as we are, and I, you know, everybody's different in the world right now, but here in in the states, we're we're bringing kids back full time. We're starting to not be three feet apart. We're starting to not have to wear masks. Like we're kind of getting back to this normal. And as that kind of happens, where do you see the this idea of digital storytelling kind of evolving in the future? Leanne, do you want to take this one?
0: I would love to. Um, I have so many ideas in in this regard, and I think the a couple of things that rise to the the top for me in terms of the evolution of digital storytelling in education would be I would love to see it become more widespread and and more practiced, and I think part of that has to do with teachers. Um, facing some of their tech fears and i know this was the case for myself when i first wanted to engage with more digital storytelling for my students because i really wanted them to create more outward facing products and i wanted them to understand the power of advocacy and what they could do with digital storytelling and so i I wanted to go down that road but i felt quite fearful of a lot of the tech. And it wasn't until I I just forced myself to say, okay, I am going to to do this. I'm gonna be a co-learner and a co-creator with the students. And we're gonna do this together. And I relinquished my need to have to be the expert in the room and to be a co-learner with the students magic happened and i learned so much and it it allowed me to become a digital storyteller in ways that i didn't think i could be so i would love to see that evolve where teachers are more open and receptive to what it is and to not let their fear of tech interfere or impede their ability to to go down that road with students and i would also love to see it evolve in the realm of of teaching and learning so by that i mean you know, when we think about The why and the how of digital storytelling in relation to its purpose and its outcomes. So, if I think about literacy, um, if I think about our global competencies that we hope for our students, if I think about, um, you know, a lot of schools will have things like student learner outcomes that involve things like active global citizenship when we, when I think about the framing of what we do with our curriculum, digital storytelling is such a powerful way for us to get to those end goals. And I would love to see that become more of a conversation in terms of, wow, this is a really powerful strategy. How do we actually use it in a concerted fashion? And how can we be more mindful about it? I would love to see that.
2: Yeah. Shay, how about you? Anything
1: to add? Yeah, thank you, Leanne. I think those are Two really, really good points. I love the collaboration piece and just the power of storytelling in general. And just linked to that, I hope to see educators truly leveraging the power of storytelling in digital platforms. And this is why. So when this is so cool, when we're told a story, there are three chemicals that, release, that are released into our brain, mm. cortisol, oxytocin and dopamine. And together, these three chemicals send signals to our brain, right? So it activates an emotional response, and that's dopamine. It creates connections through empathy, and that's oxytocin, and creates memories. If your if that punchline is strong enough, and that's cortisol. So if we have to imagine, right? If we, as teachers, as Liang was saying, take full advantage of digital and storytelling and allow students to communicate issues that they care about or you know, helping raise awareness, then we are associating positive emotions that the audience will highly remember if it was delivered efficiently. Mm-hmm. And let's just think about the stories that have stopped with us over time, right? You remember them because it created an emotional response and it created a deep connection through empathy consciously or unconsciously. So yes, all those, you know, that emotion and that connection is a storage in our long-term memory. And and that impacts our lives. Mm. So cool. Yeah, so, <laughs> I think, yeah, we really need to take more advantage of, you know, uh, the power I love that you're of the getting, storytelling.
2: I love that you're getting into the science behind of how you do this. Now, there's two things I kind of want to unpack here. Leanne, you mentioned that you just said it really quickly, but this I- idea of outward facing products. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by outward facing products?
0: Yes. Thank you for, for, for jumping in with that, Jeff, because it's true. You kind of get used to saying these things so often and you're like, of course, everyone understands exactly what's <laughs> in my brain, right? When I say that, um, that's such a great question. Uh, an example would be um, assessments. So I, I did this in my global development studies class, which again is a high school class that I, I taught most recently at, my, at the school I was at in Shanghai. Typically, you know, the assessments that we might give students right, are very inward facing in terms of, they're usually just for the teacher's eyes. Maybe some peers will see those assessments as well. But if you think about things like essays or presentations in class or things we might have kids do in terms of journaling, often nobody else sees, sees those things, right? so very inward. So what I did with my Global Development Studies class, because it was all about engaging with the world and trying to be advocates and, and create positive change, It was a couple of years ago that I said, wait a minute, what if we change this paradigm entirely And every single thing the students produce is outward facing. So Mm -hmm. they still are are synthesizing and analyzing in the same ways. They're still using all of their communication skills. But now they are writing and producing for the outward audience. So what we would do is um, then take those products. And it could be, again, anything from articles to podcasts to videos to infographics. There were so many different options the students had. They could choose what they wanted to do for that particular unit. And then um, the best products would all be posted on our school-wide digital store storytelling platform. And then we would use that to to actually create even more dialogue and discussion around those issues. And it was so fantastic because the kids were, of course, very deeply engaged because their, their product was going to be very outward facing in the community. And then it was used for good in terms of more awareness, more advocacy, more action. So super cool.
2: And what what kind of platform are you talking about? Like when you said your school's outward-facing platform, did you
0: Yeah. So actually, um, at our school, we had a group of teachers who created a website initially that was specifically to share stories around things like service, sustainability, the arts, um, and things that we felt were really of value in our community because it was a busy school and we had so much going on. And we thought, how can we actually share these stories? Number one, to keep the community informed, but also then to create a real Conversation around these things, and to actually grow more of a culture around these things as well. So we started out with a website um, that we created on, on Squarespace, and then it okay. ended up becoming on a different platform later. But it was a website that we used to post everything.
2: Yeah, and I think this is really important, and, and I'm this is why I want to take time to break this down. Is it, it doesn't when you say outward facing website? There's already ways that every school district can do this or teacher, right? Like Google mm-hmm. Sites. You in Google Sites, you know, can there go to the share setting and say public to the web. And you can then upload, like you still have it. You don't have to upload the video to YouTube. You can put it into Google Drive. You can, like, there's a lot of ways to do this, but that website is still facing outward. In Microsoft, I love Sway. Uh, Microsoft Sway is a great, quick way to make a beautiful website or even have the kids make the website that helps tell their story, right? Website design (laughs) is storytelling. When we talk about kids being able to code and being able to make websites, creating a website tells a story. And, and I think we we need to be thinking about that as another way. That's writing. like a lo- there's a lot of writing and, and use use of images and trying to get that emotional appeal for somebody to buy your product or somebody to, you know engage with you as, as a as a uh, consumer, right? And I just think that th- there's ways that you can do this. like Google sites, free. if you're a Google school, it's there. all you have to do is turn it on. Microsoft District, sway, beautiful platform, easy to set up you turn it public and all of a sudden you have a place where you can start hosting this stuff outside of your classroom, outside of your high school or your or your middle school and, and get it forward facing. The other thing that I want to just point out is one of the things that education, school districts, school leaders, and people who, who want to try and shut this stuff down, try to hide behind is this, well, they have to be over 13. Great. But once they're over 13, Let's get them out there because they already are. Like, I understand there's a 13 rule, but by the time you're 16, why aren't you posting YouTube videos? Why aren't you putting things on our school website around sustainability? Because that's a passion of yours. I understand that there's a, there's an age, but once it's past that age, you don't have an excuse. Let's, let's get this stuff forward facing. Let's help these kids understand what a digital profile is. And how do you tell stories through a multiple different tools? Whatever tool is is relevant for you based on what your comfort level is, I think it is, is really important. Shay, you took us through kind of some of the, you know, what's happening in the brain when we hear stories. What's the other side of that as a student who's producing these stories? What, what's in it for for the kid as they're going through the process of creating a digital story? What, what's that process like with kids?
1: I think that, you know, as educators, we have a really big responsibility to Break down, you know, like all these skills and learning for them. And I know a lot of schools are, you know, inquiry, conceptual-based schools. and But we need to remember that there's time for explicit teaching, right? And, and that's built into these type of approaches. So having that time to explicitly teach, for example, this, you know, like this is what happens in the brain yeah. when you deliver a powerful story. Students need to learn and know that. Or in order to, you know, uh, convey uh, a strong message for your audience to deeply connect. This is what you need to do. You know, like these are the words that you need to use. This is the structure that you need. So that explicit teaching,
2: Mm.
1: it really sets the students for success. Just having that time, right, to... To deliver and to prepare them with these skills and concrete knowledge.
2: Yeah. And what I love about that is those explicit teachings are the standards. They're the standards we're supposed to be hitting, which is, and I'd love to hear your guys is like, how do you handle this conversation? Cause there's a conversation I have a lot with educators, Jeff, I would love to do a digital storytelling project, but I don't have time because we have to get through unit four.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, I think we hear that a lot with service <laughs> learning as well. You know, like teachers would say the same thing about service learning and global citizenship. I really want right. to. I just don't have time. And and I my response to that um, for myself and for and for other teachers as well is, you know, we are going to have our unit progress and ha- and fill the time that we've allocated for it but what are we going to do to make sure that that time is most effectively used and that it has maximum impact for students? So if it's a matter of me making a tweak in my design of the unit so that I can embed things like digital storytelling and service learning and other global citizenship tools that are going to foster deep learning and deep engagement for my students, I think it's crazy if I don't do that. Like really all of these things, what do they equal? Good teaching, right? So who doesn't want to be the best teacher they can be and have the best learning experience for the kids. And especially with digital storytelling, because we're really meeting the kids where they're at with the digital world and how they interact with it already. I feel like it's a grave oversight if we don't recognize that our students need our help to navigate the spaces and to do that in a, in a, in a really good way. So yeah, I, I think the time um, argument is, is a real one, but I think it's one that's easily surmounted by that reframing and, and thinking about the mindsets.
2: Yeah. I 100% agree. And that's where always I try to get teachers to like, like well, you we're going to use the same time. We're going to use that time differently, right? We're going to structure that time in a way that allows you to still meet your standards. You're still, I know you have to do, you know, reading of this story, but that's not what the outcome has to be. Right? we can we can we can reframe the way that we have the time, right? We have a structured time, whether that's a 50 minute class period or four weeks for a unit or whatever time constraints you have. It's about restructuring that time so that these projects become the learning. They're not like, I have to do the learning and then oh, if I have time, my kids get to do a project. We've got to get to a place where this project is the learning. And that, that is a that is a, a bit of a mind shift, right? I mean, we start talking about project-based learning. I mean, that's what really all of this is like foundational is about, is bringing this stuff in and, and restructuring the way we work to empower kids to have a voice and, and really, you know, take it to the next level. Yeah. And, and the tools are there.
1: Yes. And just jumping in there a little bit, uh, Jeff and Leanne, I think that we need to remember that digital storytelling is literacy, And literacy lives across all subject areas, right? Uh, No matter the approach, it lives there. So if the chemistry teacher is teaching, you know, I don't know, about molecules and and they have to represent it in a digital space, they have to be taught how to create that representation. That's Uh literacy. So I think that the time is there. It's just, as you were saying, it's a matter of shifting, right? That the way we use time and the way we're teaching.
2: I love that you know, there's so many ways that teachers can continue to dig into this idea of using uh, digital storytelling in their classroom. Who are some of the influential educators who inspire you in your practice? And we'll make sure that there are links to all these people in the show notes. But if, I, if I'm if i getting started, I'm like, you know what, I really could up my game a bit, or I'm thinking like there is ways to use this stuff uh, in my classroom. Where Who are some people that they should be starting to look for or following on Twitter, Instagram, or you know out on the web or places they can go for resources Shay, do you want to go first
1: sure yeah that's uh, <laughs> this is a really tough one jeff because there's so many inspirational educators are there out there um uh, so i can be here for a while but <laughs> i'll jump in with three uh i love katherine Burger's skate work she's always inspirational so you definitely check out their website cbkassociates.com and she wrote the complete guide to service learning so yeah if you can download it or buy the book you should have it in your bookcase for sure if you're a teacher. Uh, She works with educators around the world and I know her approach to service learning has impacted tons of educators and uh, yeah it's a very holistic approach that you definitely want to check out her work. Uh, I really, I'm inspired by the work that Lawrence Myers does. He is currently working as a service learning coordinator at the American School of Dubai. And he also works for Compass Education. So uh, check out his, he has a Facebook group. It's called um, Sustainability and Service Learning. So yeah, look it up. And it has hundreds of educators and it has become a really supportive community. So join it. And I know I think that recently he actually talked to Dr. Jane Goodall. So everything so he wonderful. publishes, yeah, it's so cool, so inspirational. And I know he has also an ASD AC Changemakers account on Instagram where all the work that students do is published. And that's what I love to see. Mm-hmm. You know, like a students in action, like all the work that teachers do behind the scenes. This is what it looks like, you know, like this is uh, how it translates into action. So love his work.
2: Well, and what's great is like you find websites like that and then you can show your students if you're getting started. um, What are some examples of what other kids your own age are producing, putting out there and and talking about? So that's cool.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes, students. That's always powerful, isn't it? When students can see each other in the work they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and Alice Whitehead, she's the founder of Orenda Learning and uh, she also wrote a program called Be the Change and it's also a very holistic program. I love that she has mindfulness as, as the foundation of the program, which is very unique. Uh, she's very passionate about supporting children and young people to learn about you know action and become change makers. So yeah, check Orenda Learning for sure. It's It's an amazing program. And you know what, Jeff? Uh, besides being inspired by educators, I'm constantly inspired by young people's initiatives. I love mm. the work that young people do. I think sometimes we uh, we say, you know, like it's it's hard to create impact or you know uh, create change. But and and kids, you know, start with small actions. You know, things that you know you can you can do at home, at school, wherever you are. But there's young people that create amazing impact in the communities. And uh, I know uh, the siblings, Ishmael, Matubu, Nkoba, and his sister, Nantume Mastaruda. Uh, they are Ugandan, and they uh, do so much work in their community. Mm-hmm. They study Excellent. at a school in, in China. Uh, so I'll share their um, Twitter accounts, so you can check out their work. But Oh, my gosh, it's so inspirational. You know, sometimes I sit here thinking like, yeah, I have an electric car. But <laughs> Matubu dug a well for his community <laughs> that is providing 600 people clean water. You know, right. like that's incredible. <laughs> and he's currently advocating for the National Traditional Healers Association mm. to be recognized, you know, in the country. Wow. <laughs> You know that's, yeah. that's amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: And his sister Nantume, she's delivering menstrual education for young women in her community, and she set up a startup to provide hygiene products uh, created by women. So. Oh, cool. Ah, uh, yeah, I love what you are doing. Powerful do.
2: stuff,
1: yeah. Yeah, very powerful. Uh, there's another group that you might want to follow up if if you you know you're a teacher listening to the podcast the podcast. Uh, Girl up Angola is a group of three girls. Uh, they will are in, at Luanda International School, and this is a project that it focuses on uh, closing the gender gap by empowering women worldwide,
0: mm.
1: and uh, so they started this in Angola, and they want to empower women in the country through community-based initiatives, and they're partnering with non-for-profits, orphanages, and so many other groups, so yes. It stopped me because I keep going on
2: and on. Well, it's true though. I mean, there's so many great things out there, and there's already. I think that's one of the things that is really interesting about this generation. And I do a lot of work, and people who have heard me, some of my keynotes, I dig into this generational, these generational divides we have. And one thing about this generation, not only are they out there making change, but they're telling their story. It wasn't that there were kids like when I was in high school. I'm sure. There were high school kids out there that were making incredible changes. We didn't have the technology to share that story. You might've been known in your community for doing your, your thing, right? Or you had to have somebody help tell your story, a newspaper, or you had to get on television. Today, you can have your t- your story told and you have this way of spreading goodness in the world. And I think we, we, as a different generation, just have to understand this is the way this generation works. I would love to sit down with some high school kids and say... Who are people that inspire you and yeah. why and where and how we, we're so worried about kids saying like oh they just watch these YouTube influencers. great who are they? <laughs> what is their influence on these children and and how do we help our students be inspired by that to do that work as well? I, it's it's just oh. It's just a different generation and we we have to understand, we we can't just keep shutting them down and saying, oh, I'm sorry, we just don't do Instagram at this school. Tough luck. <laughs> this generation does. And, and at some point, we've got to get to a point where you can follow people on Twitter and be highly motivated to go out and do something better. You know? Yeah. Uh, Liam, how about you? People that you follow, influencers or people that you think people uh, other educators should be looking at?
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, like Shay, I could go on for a very long time about this. Um, and so, a few people that that rise to the surface in my mind um, are are first and foremost Darcy Lenz. So he is an incredible educator who himself. Uh, I, I just look at him and I think, oh my goodness, you are a sustainability superhero. He really walks the the talk of what it means to be sustainable. Every single choice he makes as an individual speaks to hope for the future, because if we could all live in the ways that he lives, uh, the world would be a different place. And you know, SCG number twelve with re- responsible consumption and production would be would be hit so so quickly. And so I love Darcy. He has an organization called Teaspoons of Change, and it's very impactful for students because it helps. I, I think students understand. Wait, my individual my individual choices do matter, and here are some things that I can do to make a difference. I just actually sent a, a letter to Darcy because one of my students who's graduating this year. Uh, saw Darcy speak when he was in grade nine and then again in grade 11 had an opportunity to do a workshop with Darcy and he wrote his college essay about the impact of of those moments in his own life journey and and the type of person that he now wants to be so I really highly recommend following teaspoons of change and checking that out Um, in addition Steve Sostak and Aaron Moniz from inspire citizens oh my goodness amazing educators and they are doing powerful work With digital storytelling and with all kinds of things related to the global goals and they have created their own empathy to impact cycle which is which is very much like service learning but more focused on like a curricular framework for teachers to use and it is really powerful and they do incredible work with educators definitely check those those guys out another educator is a friend of mine Dagny Firth And she doesn't have any contact that I can put out there for people to follow because uh, all of her stuff is kind of in-house with what she's doing. But she teaches this course called Storytelling Agency. Mm -hmm. And It is so incredible. It really harnesses traditional storytelling, but also of course spills into the digital realm in so many ways. And it's a deep, deep, deep dive into the power of storytelling. And she inspires me with what she does with her students. They, They have written books, they have published books, they have engaged with websites and podcasts they work with syrian refugees living in you know nearby countries and telling their stories it's it's incredible what they're doing um and then again on the student angle i love that you brought that up shay two students i would like to highlight and i think that their digital storytelling just showcases so much of what we hope for in our students Mm -hmm. doing this work. There are two Canadian kids. um, Their names are Ayush and Ananya Chopra. And they are actually the student representatives for this year's global project for the Global Goals. And they have a site called SDGs for Children. It's amazing. I mean, it is just digital storytelling at the highest level, and they're responsible for it. These two, these two kids, brother and sister, are just changing the world with what they're doing, and, and I'm, I'm so amazed that they've been recognized to, you know, serve as ambassadors for the Goals Project this year. They deserve that, and it's very cool. So yeah. they're also fantastic to check out.
2: And you have to be careful. Like, you go to their website, and all of a sudden, you're like, I'm not worthy, <laughs> right? You're just like, it doesn't totally. matter what I do. I can't. I just can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, they're so inspiring. You're just like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was doing good. <laughs> you know, It's just incredible what these kids can do when they find their voice. Uh, both of you, I want to kind of break this down for educators. Uh, both of you keep using the term service learning and the power that digital storytelling has in service learning. Can you kind of explain what is service learning? why is that a passion of yours? Like where does that come from? what and you keep mentioning goals or the global goals, like where does that come from? Can you kind of maybe just break down some of these some of these ideas?
0: For sure, Shay. Do you want me to jump in there first? Go go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, service learning is an incredible, again, way of teaching that allows your students to take the knowledge and skills that they're learning in your class and apply those that knowledge and those skills to a real world situation. Um, and so during a service learning process, students will learn to investigate and identify community assets and needs. And and again, this is in relation to whatever they're studying in that particular unit. And that could be, again, from the very earliest learners all the way through to you know um, grade 12 and beyond. A lot of universities have this as part of their curriculum as well. And so students will take what they're learning and then go, okay, wait, what? how does this connect to my community? Okay, what are the assets and needs in my community that connect to this topic? And then based on that, what can I do to act in some way, shape, or form? And the action involves the application of the knowledge and skills. And so it is deep, deep learning. Um, And again, it's taking that time that you're spending on a topic and then kind of you know, reallocating it in these ways. Um, and so service learning is uh, is a process that has been uh, used by educators worldwide now for decades. And Kathy Berger Kay is one of the people who has been a pioneer in this regard. And so her complete guide to service learning is an absolute gem. If you you know, you're new to service learning, I highly recommend you start there. And uh, so yeah, there's five stages to it. And um, it's very easy to use once you get used to it, and you kind of understand how it works. And it's very flexible and fluid, you can even take parts of the service learning cycle and do parts, you know, in different units, and you can, you know, just focus on one aspect of it and go deep with that. So there's lots of different ways to approach it super hands on, really practical and results oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe Shay, you want to talk about the global goals, the SDGs?
1: Yes, and and just like adding a little, a little bit about service learning, uh, this might sound differently, you know, across different programs. If you are not in an in a, if you are in an Ivy school, it might sound like action in the primary year, primary years in middle school is uh, services action or the personal project. In the diploma program, it's CAS creativity activity service. If you're in a non Ivy school, it might be just service or service learning or it might be embedded in different ways within the program. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, just really what uh, Leanne said, it's, it's the result of learning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to me, like there's no excuse people out there. <laughs> there's yeah. no excuse, you know, are we teaching? If what we teaching has real value in the mm-hmm. world that we're currently living in, students should be able to transfer that learning to take action. I mean now. that's why now. Now <laughs> yes, now. And that's why we have the goals, right? The sustainable goals, uh, development goals. Because we have a mission. We are on a mission. And education is the way, isn't it? It's it's really the the conduit.
2: Yeah. Uh, Talk about these sustainable goals. Where 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 do where are these coming from? Where are these sustainable goals coming from?
1: The sustainable goals are coming from uh, United Nations. And I know a few years ago it was how many goals do we have right now? Is it like uh, seventeen? Seventeen, and mm-hmm. it, they used to be less than that, right? So they change. So mm-hmm. the goal is to reach, uh, hit all those goals uh, by twenty thirty. So if you if you just you know type sustainable development goals by the United Nations, you will see incredible resources uh, on a website. And just recently, they also created an app that everyone should have. So uh, I know Jeff, you were talking about maybe some schools that not allowing students to have their phones or have apps. Every student who should have their app, you know, downloaded (laughs) on their phone and teachers, there's incredible resources that can be used straight away to support uh, learning projects, initiatives, and not only an educational level, but you know, all those organizations that align their mission and vision with uh, sustainability. Yes, that's that's yeah. something that we all should be working towards.
2: Yeah, and I and I wanted to pause here and talk about this because I think this again, thinking about the generation that we have, they are very action focused. And I love this idea like it's one thing if you say, "Hey, I'm a 8th grade English teacher. I'm an 8th grade science teacher. And, you know, my curriculum and my standards say I have to do this." That's it's kind of blah. I mean, let's let's be let's be real. But if you can, with your students say, hey, look, there's this amazing global organization called the UN who has 17 goals for us as humans to try and conquer by 2030. Let's go look at those goals. What is in there? What passion do you have around these? And I guarantee everybody has some passion in at least one of those 17 goals to make the world a better place. What what passion do you have? And I think, again, it's this idea of the outwardness, right? It's not about me, my little school, wherever I'm located in the world. It's like, no, there's another organization that is saying, here are 17 goals we have. What little thing can you do to help tell the story of your community, make change where you're at? I mean, I just, I I love that. And I don't know how many educators actually know that you can like, A, that these are 17 sustainable goals that the UN has out there for you that you can use and there's resources, as you were saying, to bring them in. We'll make sure we link to the app. I didn't know there was an app. Like I'm excited for that now, (laughs) right? Like there's that part of it. And then that brings into this idea of like, okay, what's the service learning that you do? And how do you tell your story of the service that you're doing? That's digital storytelling. That's how these things kind of stack on top of each other, if you will, right? You've got standards, but they're global standards. They're out there. They're done by the UN. Service learning is how we get to them. Digital story is how we tell the end product of what it is we want to do. And you don't have to go that way, but it's a great place to be thinking about. One of my favorite projects that I did I was helping the teacher do this when we were getting into digital storytelling and service learning is the kids looked around their community and there was one student uh, like middle school. So we're talking seventh, eighth graders. This one kid was frustrated that there's a stoplight in town that he felt didn't allow traffic to flow the way it should. He ended up going out there and like timing with a stopwatch. Now, just think about the math involved. Like forget that this was done in an English class, right? He's out there on his free time using a stopwatch, looking at the way the traffic is moving in his city, he's able to draw up a plan on the way, like, you know, I don't know, like speed limit was 25 miles an hour. I don't remember all the details now. And he was able to drop a plan. And then he went to the city council, gave them the data and found out that they had to tweak the light by less than six seconds. And he had all the different ways. And I'm thinking this is like, Nobody had just taken the time to figure out what the data was, And this kid goes and presents to the city council. And they're like, that's it. And they had a guy out there in a week, change him by six seconds. And he you know, like, talk about community service. That's Everybody it. in this community is happy and doesn't know it's a seven, seven grader that went out and made their <laughs> life a little easier to commute across their town. Like we probably all have stories like that now of things that have happened, but that's one of the ones I can, I'm like seven seconds. <laughs>
1: right? But the he really
2: got into and working with his math teacher to figure out you know, how if cars are traveling at 25 miles, like you think about
0: all of this that
2: has to come into play, right? It's so cool. Jeff,
0: I I love that example because um, in service learning, there's typically four different types of action that students can take. It's direct, indirect advocacy and research. And research, which is exactly what you're describing with this particular example, is such an incredible way to have our students research the things that we would have them researching anyway but do it in a way where it's actually having impact right, right. so instead of measuring something you know that the kids aren't really very interested Two in and things they...
2: are leaving different parts and coming together what right right <laughs> How about... What are the cars at the stoplight traveling twenty five miles an hour? It's the same. Yes, thing. yes, it has
0: real application. Yes, it has real yes. application, and also I love what you were saying about the SDGs as well, and being able to approach them in that kind of a fashion where you allow the kids to really tap into their passions. So fantastic, and I think teachers as well, uh, when the, once they start learning about the SDGs, realize that any single thing you are teaching is going to connect to the SDGs in some way, shape, or form. It is impossible for it not to. Um, I have not seen a curricular unit or idea yet where you couldn't look at one of those SDGs and say, of course, this connects. And so how might we begin to layer those little bits of global citizenship? And again, it's a literacy thing. So we're aware of what's going on in the world. It's so easy to do that. And I think a lot of schools are moving in wonderful directions in this regard, like making the SDGs really visible. Um, again, making big murals, having posters in classrooms, having kids become comfortable talking about them, knowing about them. It really sets our kids up to understand the world and then to engage with it, which again leads to more digital storytelling, right? So it's great. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah. Just thinking about what you were saying, Leanne, about, uh, you know, all units or whatever teachers are doing in, you know, their classrooms or people at school. I think it's a great opportunity to reassess what we are teaching or what we're teaching at schools and if you identify a unit a theme you know whatever the teaching that does not connect with the SDGs I think we should welcome that opportunity to think should Mm. we be teaching that you know where is the value in what we are quote-unquote teaching
2: I love that if we can't mm-hmm. find a way for them to connect to these overarching goals, why are we teaching it? Yeah. Because we've been teaching it for 800 years, and so we probably should still be teaching it, right? No. Yeah. It's not the way it works. No.
1: Right? <laughs> Preparing yeah.
2: kids for their future, not our past. If we keep that mentality, what does that what does that do for us? Yeah. Um, as we kind of start wrapping this thing up here, I want to kind of talk about what are some of the tools that you, that uh, you guys really recommend for teachers. I know that there, there's a host of them out there. Um, But as you, you do this a lot, you support teachers a lot in this work. What are some of your go-to tools to have teachers maybe put in their toolkit uh, as they kind of go through this? Leanne, do you want to, you want to take this first and we'll make sure there's links to all of this in the show notes. This is going to be a really long show note people. (laughs) So be ready to go into those We got the links coming out uh, out on their backside here. So, Liam, let's get started with you.
0: I would love to. And so many links. Oh, my goodness. Even in putting the the links together to prepare for this conversation, there were so many more. And actually, I would love to add more to the show (laughs) notes as well (laughs) because there's so many. Um, So, yeah, a couple of things that um, really, again, I I think are vital for me and and the ways that I engage with teachers is if I think about storytelling, um, one resource that I would love to share is there is a beautiful uh, resource that UNESCO has put together that is all about storytelling for interrelations cultural understanding. Oh. And while this resource in and of itself isn't a digital storytelling resource, it is so foundational because it's all about the mindsets of understanding stories and to really approach stories in a way to activate more active listening but but with a specific goal in mind like how do I understand this person um, and and what in the ways in which I may be, like this person or not like this person and their experiences, how they differ from mine or how they might be similar to mine. But how can I really just stop for a moment and really Mm. open my eyes to this other person? And I think that that to me in terms of mindsets for global citizenship and for service If we can't do that, then we're going to go down all kinds of wrong roads, right? In terms of the assumptions that we make and the things that we may do. And so I love this as a resource because I think it really behooves us to stop sometimes and think, okay, wait, 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 before I even start to think about telling stories, What stories do I understand? And what stories am I listening to? And how does that shape my understanding of the world? So that's a resource that I think is very, very um, helpful. Um, I love for podcast creation, um, a site called Soundtrap. And I was just introduced to this a couple of years ago um, by actually Donna, who was working for Inspire Citizens when she was helping me with my storytelling skills. And I'd always been scared of podcasting. I just, I, I don't feel like I'm very good at au- at audio editing, It seems scary to me. And so I didn't know where to start. And she introduced me to this site and I love it. I love it because you can actually take your audio file and convert it to text. And then when you edit the text portion, It, it edits the audio for you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is so helpful for me because I don't know if I'm as, as, you know, skilled with editing the audio and, and it's given me confidence with podcasting and it's allowed me to to say, it's okay to try things, to fail, to try again, to learn. And it's actually a really fun process. So I would highly recommend Soundtrap. And then for writing, I have been exploring recently, some new tools for creating books. And again, as you were talking about being self-published earlier, there are so many amazing things out there. And so a couple of ones that I really like are there's one called Storybird, and then I, and this other one, <clears throat> excuse me, called Culture Street. They both have really incredible resources for creating picture books, Mm -hmm. for creating other types of long form fiction. And they're beautiful. You can pick from their illustrations. You can easily move things around and create something beautiful. They're both fantastic. So I would highly recommend those two. Awesome,
2: awesome. Shay, keep us going.
1: All right, so I'm gonna jump in there. Uh, Yeah, just a reminder to download the SDG app, which is very new. So everybody should have that. And there's also a, a site called sdginaction.com, uh, and it walks you through what is happening in your community or the region where you're at. And I think that's why I love that, because it contextualizes the action that you're taking. So you can browse for actions, join the ones that you're keen or, you know, it seems interesting, and you can create actions. So check those ones out. And, and what I love about that, too, is that anyone, you know, like uh, students... Uh, Teachers across subject areas can can benefit from that uh, site. And of course, if you head to CBK Associates, you'll find a lot of resources for free from articles to podcasts. There's some of, um, um, you know, recommended uh, books as well, which I love because literacy is an excellent entry point to inspire action. Uh, yes, yeah, so loads there. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we're offering a course later on, uh, called service learning foundations by CBK associates, uh, Leanne, Mm -hmm. Kathy, and I, so yeah, we'll, if that's okay, Jeff, we might send you a little bit of info about about that. And, uh, yeah. And I also want to invite educators to ask students, you know, what are some apps? What are some sites, uh, that they love, you know, who are they streaming? Who are they listening to, um, yeah, my son just gave me yesterday, put on my bedside table, a Minecraft book. He was like, you need to read this because we're, <laughs> we're building like an eco-friendly house on Minecraft and I'm sure I'm going to beat you. So you better read that book. <laughs> <laughs> So so yeah, you know, ask, ask your kids, you know, like what apps are you loving or yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Shay, I need to read that book because I have, I'm, I'm coaching with a teacher right now in Colorado and her students are using Minecraft to design a a reboot to their school garden. And I've never used Minecraft before. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I know about all of the things that you want to look at and research to think about your design. But what is this Minecraft business? I don't know. And so this is where we need to learn, right? From the yeah, kids. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I need to
1: get a copy of that book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. And he's eight years old. So wow. can you imagine, right? Like yeah. for our early years, primary teachers out there, oh, these kids know what they're doing. Yeah. They know their stuff. Yeah. yeah. And one more to throw there, Leanne is offering a course, uh, which we mentioned before, becoming a digital storytelling uh, teller. So yes, join her course. Leanne, do you want to maybe want to jump in there?
0: Yeah, I would love to. Yes, the course begins on February 10th and it's a four week course for educators. And it is really meant to be an amazing kickstart for anybody who wants to either jump in for the first time to digital storytelling or to grow their digital storytelling skills. And I am so excited about the course because it is going to be jam packed with ideas, resources, apps ways of doing things and also connections to other educators who are doing amazing work in this field so i have a lot of people coming in to participate in the course and so if you're looking for for any kind of inspiration in this regard or any kind of how-to then i i really am excited about the course so it starts on february 10th and again the link will be in the show notes i think which is great so yes shameless promotion if you would like to join we would love to have you in the course
2: Well, and you know, we know that when we, this was last up, the last episode we did on the, on the podcast is like one of the things that adult learners need when they're trying something new is a community. And what a great way to have a community of other educators who are, are already doing it, inspiring you to be better and learning along with you to be like, I tried this today and it really failed with my seventh graders. Or I tried this today with my eighth graders or my eight year olds and, and it didn't work, you know, and you have a community that supports you, that keeps you going that, you know, that to me, that's what online courses should be about, is about bringing in that support network that we have, that community that we might have, yeah. that we might not be finding in our school or our district because we want to do something. This is where you get to find community of like-minded people and move forward uh, because it's what's right for kids. So I appreciate that. Uh, as we wrap up here, if people want to learn more, they want to follow you. Shay, where where should people follow you at? Twitter, Instagram? Where are you at out on the yes. social
1: uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Shea underscore, underscore ASC, and Instagram, as serve, learn. Uh, I love posting there the work that students do, what they're advocating for, uh, organizations, uh, any opportunities there, you'll find them there. And I'm also on LinkedIn as Shay Asensio. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Leanne, how about you? Yeah, so for me, Twitter is Leanne Lavender, and it's all one word, but with the two capital L's. Um, On Instagram, it's lavender underscore service learning. And you also get to see on my Instagram uh, a lot of things about nature and yoga, because those are also two things I just love and I can't stop posting about, even though I'm like, (laughs) it's not service learning, but you know what? I love it. So it's going there, too. So it's a real hodgepodge of things, which is great. (laughs) Um, And then on Facebook as well, and it's leanne.coallavender on Facebook. So yeah, that would be great to connect with people.
2: Yeah. And we'll make sure again, all those links are in the show notes. You're going to have a long show notes if you're listening to this one. So you will have to dig in there a lot, but there's just so much when it comes to digital storytelling. Um, and as we wrap up, you know, I talked about at the beginning, I'll tell some of my stories. My first venture into digital storytelling was 2005. And uh, I was a tech teacher at the time at Shanghai American School. And I was like, I've got to figure out what this like digital storytelling Telling thing is. So you got to remember 2005. To put this in perspective, YouTube is one year old. Like, let's just think about this for a second, right? So I decide that I've got to, before I'm going to have my kids do it, I've got to make a digital story. So I had this just like dating this, right? Windows XP. Let's just think back. Windows XP. So I'm (laughs) using Movie Maker. XP or whatever it was at the time. And I needed a script and I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to make a a digital story about? So I went over to Wikipedia and I basically copied and pasted the definition of web 2.0, right? Because this was like the thing in 2005. So I I copy and paste that into a Google doc and I kind of, you know, edit it a bit, but basically what I'm doing is I'm reading the Wikipedia entry for web 2.0. I then go out and I either make images or I find images off the internet that I kind of put in as just still images. They're just still images with my audio underneath it. Like it's the most basic digital storytelling thing you could do, but I had to like, nobody'd ever done this before. It's 2005. Mm -hmm. So I upload it to my YouTube channel. So fast forward. It now has over a million views, and it is <laughs> wow. horrible. It is so bad. It, it's it's like it. It sounds like like some people have left comments like they sound like they're reading this off of. Yes, I was reading this off of basically
1: Wikipedia. That's what it sounds <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. But that brilliant. was like my
2: first venture into it, and then about two, three years later. So that was like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, something like that. I was teaching a middle school tech class. And one of the things that we had to do in the curriculum was like, look at the history of technology. Like, what's the history of technology? So I had students who told the history of IBM. Uh, one student told the history of a jet engine. One student told uh, the history of um, Cisco. Because, right, we're talking Google isn't even on, like, Google is, nobody knows Google at this time. We're like, Google's mm-hmm. just becoming, new, right? Like, this is so early days. Well, we didn't have anywhere to post them. And we're all still trying to learn out the internet. Nobody has a YouTube channel except me because no kids aren't allowed to have them. And we're in China. So Google's kind of blocked or starting to get blocked back in the day. It wasn't at first. And so I uploaded all of these students' history, history of IBM, history of a jet engine. Like, I I don't even know. there's like 26 of them that I upload to my YouTube channel as that idea of forward-facing products. Like I wanted to show kids like, look, we're going to, not only are you making the history of jet engine, you're not making this for me. Oh, you're going to make this for the world. Right. And every single one of those videos has hundreds of thousands of views. And my biggest regret is, is like, I own those videos. I want the kids to own those videos. Yeah. I want the kids to own those videos, but we weren't at a time and place where that was available to us. And I think about if I was teaching that today, I'd probably do the exact same thing. Like we have to study the history of technology, pick something, in the history of technology, like you love PlayStation, tell me the history of all these PlayStations and how they've influenced gaming over the years. And you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna start your own YouTube channel, by the way, they already have one, (laughs) and you're gonna post your video. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many l- just little things that you could do about it. Uh, but man, I still every once in a while, those, somebody leaves a comment on one of these videos. They're like, this sounds like a seventh grader. And I'm like, it's because it was a seventh, grade. uh, right. it was a seventh grader telling you the history of a jet agent. That's why it sounds like a seventh grader. And that's okay, you
0: know? I love that because you're also, I mean, when we think early days, it's so fascinating, right? Because I remember with ninth graders often as I was teaching English and and doing, there was this wonderful novel by M.T. Anderson called Feed. It was a dystopian novel. If you haven't read it, oh my gosh, it's so good, right? So good. And we'd be teaching that novel, I'd be teaching that novel, and I'd say to the kids, okay, so, you know, when I was your age, you know, th- the internet did not exist. And th- I remember so many times a student would look at me and say, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it, it just speaks to how rapidly things have changed yeah. in this way. And when I think about that, I get so excited because what's it going to be like in 10 more years? For like, sure. I think digital storytelling is just one of these amazing, you know, communication vehicles that's expanding and evolving. And it's exciting to see what's happening.
2: Yeah. It's incredible. And just the the amount of avenues these kids have. I mean, the avenues that we all have, not just kids, we all have the opportunity to tell our stories, whether you're on Twitter or Instagram, like we have opportunities to tell our stories. That's what the world's about. And we just have ways to amplify that now and and tie those in. And we've got to, at some point, we've got to realize that and support our kids in preparing for a future of stories, right? The stories we don't write to back to the beginning of this podcast. We don't write on cave walls anymore. We tell stories in a different way and we've got to also be telling stories in a different way with our kids. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that went a lot longer than it was supposed to, but thank you both for being.
0: <laughs> and I feel like we could keep talking for hours and hours. I love it. So,
2: thank you both for joining us. Uh really appreciate it. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. If you're still listening uh, an hour or so in, thanks for hanging with us. And hopefully by the end of this, year, we a little excited about getting your kids to produce some outward facing products, talking about service learning, making sure that what we are teaching them is applicable today. And you can use the UN sustainability goals if that wants to be your focus. There's so much out there. And Leanne and Shay are here to support you along with us over at Shifting Schools. We're here to help us all do the great work of preparing the next generation. So thank you both. Appreciate it. Thank you,
0: Jeff. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or
1: download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the
0: shifts our schools need.